Welcome once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos, episode 184. And we're a couple days behind when we usually drop the podcast. Hope you don't mind. It's for a very good reason, as we are about to preview a very busy weekend in the international game. We're trying to branch out for our entire international audience, not just our USA uh, North American crowd, but we will appease to them as we generally do a little bit later in the program. Before we get into all of that good stuff, a reminder, you know the drill, rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. Make sure you go over to my YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. Check out the videos that I'm pumping out at least twice a week about some interesting topics. Check them out there. Have it all covered as the Soccer OG does its very best to keep you covered as well. You know, last episode we spoke to Pulas Dar about Indian football, and uh, we kind of, I don't know if we jinxed it, because Indian uh, national team had a real rough go there at the Asian Cup, but we move forward, and we will continue to talk about the Asian Cup. Coming up in the business end, we will be joined by Anthony Hudson, former U.S. men's national team interim coach, also U.S. men's national team assistant coach at the last World Cup. We'll talk a little bit about his time there, what his perspective is about the national team for the United States. And this is a guy who's had a real interesting run coaching national teams in multiple confederations. But we'll also talk about Asian Cup because he is part of the broadcast team covering it in Doha for being sports. So this has been a great Asian Cup so far. I hope you're tuning in. It's over on Paramount+. Plus. I apologize. I think the last episode I said Peacock. It is Paramount here in uh, North America. So check that out. And we're also going to talk a little bit about AFCON coming up here because that's also in the knockout stages. They are both beautifully poised. This is, as I've said in the past, going to be potentially the biggest year in international football from tops to tails from January till December, even though most of the action happens in the summer. Coming up later on Check Complete, we will ask the biggest question surrounding the U.S. men's national team ahead of the March camp the march roster announcement which has a lot of loose ends we'll get into all of that we'll talk a little geo reina we'll talk some jurgen klopp that's all next on the rundown time now for the rundown and i'm recording this on a friday a rare friday Soccer OG. So many of you will listen to this over the weekend and hopefully at the beginning of the week. We'll get back on track to our regular Wednesday recording, but it worked out here because we are able to discuss the Jurgen Klopp news when it is fresh out of the oven, in case you didn't hear, which is probably impossible if you are in the soccer world. Uh, Jurgen Klopp made the decision to leave Liverpool um, in uh, in touch, in step with uh, the club. It was a video where he mentioned uh, his intentions that this would be his final season. He had previously informed Fenway Sports, Liverpool's owners. He had previously informed the players. So everyone kind of knew it was the case. And then on Friday, he said, I now, how can I say it? Running, I'm running out of energy I have no problem now. Obviously, I'm absolutely fine now. I know that I cannot do the job again and again and again after the years we spent together. And after all the things we went through together, the least I owe you is the truth. And that is the truth. Uh, really, I, it was just breathtaking to see and hear something like that for obviously a variety of reasons. I think it was important, first and foremost, 
based on what we are hearing that they released that. Because if the players knew and the ownership knew, there would be a leak and this would get out and we wouldn't have that wonderful moment of hearing this coming directly from Jurgen Klopp. I'm sure he would have addressed it. But in this world where news breaks so quickly, we got to hear it right from the source. How refreshing was that? Not Fabrizio Romano, not this or that. I mean, he did break it a little bit. It kind of got out. But generally, the first time we would see it, at least the way I saw it, was Jurgen Klopp saying that this was uh, the end. I mean, at least it was prepared. When the news starts breaking, we were prepared. This video was prepared for him to mention it. So that was part of why it was interesting that they were able to get ahead of it. Uh, and I think Jurgen Klopp is really appreciative of that. Also very interesting that it happens in a year where Liverpool are playing for four trophies, both cup competitions in England. Uh, they're in a final already in the Carabao Cup. They're in the Europa League, uh, hopefully to make a run there. And they're five points clear in the Premier League. So he's saying this where Liverpool are in a wonderful vein of form. Good living. And I'm curious if he was probably thinking maybe last year I would do it, things aren't going well, and then people would go, okay. But he's doing, this is so weird that he would say it at the top of his game. And no, this is a guy who's done incredible things with Liverpool. And we remember, I mean, many, you know, Liverpool's the big name in English football because of what they did in the 80s and 90s but, or the 70s. But, you know, there was 20 years there where they were an afterthought. They had that one year with Luis Suarez and Steven Gerrard where they had the title and it slipped through. And for a moment there, with the dominance of Manchester United and the emergence of Arsenal and Chelsea and then Manchester City, that you know, maybe Liverpool would never win a Premier League title. They eventually would in that COVID year, um, which tainted it a little bit, just a little bit. The Liverpool fans uh, still would would tell you to a man that it was as special as it could possibly be, even though there was an empty stadium. And I don't want to take anything away from that because it was a remarkable season for Liverpool. A couple of years prior, they're making Champions League finals, then coming back and winning the Champions League. I mean, this was, Liverpool was not on the radar. They, I mean, you called them the big four, big six, but you kind of just said that in a ceremonious manner. Jurgen Klinsmann, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, sorry, I'm going to talk about Jurgen Klinsmann later. But Jurgen Klopp changed all that. It was a big shot higher, but people thought it would go well, but not as well as he did or would have expected. And then he introduces the Gagan Press, a different way of playing. He goes uh, and empowers players that were, you know, I wouldn't say they were cast off by other teams, but, you know, Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, uh, Bobby Firmino, who came from Wolfsburg, Philippe Coutinho, I mean, those were the big names and, you know, the, the other players that he would uh, empower, Jordan Henderson, Trent Alexander-Arnold, uh, uh, Scott Robertson, it's his guy, and Andy Robertson, was it, is it Scott Wright? Why am I getting that one wrong? But uh, let's push on for the sake of the story. Uh, this was, you know, they weren't, they, they weren't doing this on a uh, shoestring budget by any means, but it was really crafty scouting and recruiting by a guy that, I mean, it feels like he could be a political leader, a good political leader, <laughs> or a head of a big corporation. Just seems like anything he says you're going to do. Can you imagine being a Liverpool player, certainly now, and you're wondering if you want to pl play for that club, and Jurgen Klopp walks through the door? How powerful would that be? I mean, just as a personality, just another level. I mean, I, I think we have these super managers like Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola, 
Um, Diego Simeone, some of the ex-players, some of the Italian managers that we see that are just bigger than life in uh, uh, Carlo Ancelotti. But uh, Jurgen Klopp, just just different. It's just different how accessible... I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a manager that you could see sitting down with you and ordering you and him a beer. I, from what I understand, he's, a big, he's, a, he's big in the beer, which uh, it makes me feel even closer to him. So uh, it was a... An incredible announcement, and the question is, is, he, is this really someone who is, the, the, the ends are burning at both ends, the, they're burned up at both ends, right? I'm screwing up my expressions, I apologize. Or is this a move to maybe go to Bayern? I don't think it is, I don't think anyone thinks it is. I generally believe, because we kind of heard that he was uh, at wit's end, and this management game has got to be tough. I mean, he was a long tenure, and you go back to the Dortmund days. I would imagine he'd come back to doing this, but I, I truly believe he's going to step away at least a year, maybe more. Leaves a big void for Liverpool. Liverpool, I mean, you, you go to the news cycle, it sounds like somebody died. <laughs> when they're talking about your... I mean, I was listening to things. I go, did someone die? It's, like it's really morbid and... No, but that's how serious it is. But I could not be a bigger Jurgen Klopp fan. I think it's amazing. I mean, he breathes so much life into that club. Uh, you know, this talk about him going to Bayern, I would be stunned if this is a move to do that. And he's gotten so close to Liverpool. Not that Liverpool fans would hold it against him because he's done so much for them. But, I mean, what a massive story out of nowhere. And now we have this season where we're going to be along this ride. I mean, I was thinking about it. What if Liverpool reached the Europa League final? And I think it's at the Aviva Stadium in Dublin. So it'll be all Liverpool fans. I don't care what your Champions League final is. I don't care if it's Real Madrid, Manchester City. It's not going to be bigger than Jurgen Klopp in his final game with Liverpool against whoever they're playing. The Europa League, I mean... The Champions League, the uh, UEFA folks are licking their chops. CBS here in the U.S. are licking their chops at the prospects of that. I don't know if they're going to get it, but we're going to tune in because we know that the players and the club are going to do everything in their power to make sure these final three, four months are very, very special for Jurgen Klopp. So there you have it. Uh, Gio Reyna, some kind of connection because of Dortmund. Uh, George Mendes, his new agent. I thought we would have a new club by Friday, we haven't, so I'm sure this will go into next week. Variety of clubs with George Mendez uh, connections. Go to my uh, YouTube, Max Bretos. I have a full video about this that can spell it out a little bit more, but we're all waiting on it, and we're hearing Nottingham Forest or Marseille or Sevilla, which is at the bottom. Nottingham Forest is kind of in a relegation battle, but I don't think they're going to get relegated. I think they'll be fine, but there'll be some testy games in a situation where he would have to play very hard uh, minutes, maybe play in a role that he it does not really want to play uh, in order to get these results. Wolves have been mentioned. There was Benfica. Seems like Nottingham Forest, Marseille are the uh, front runners. And I mean, I, I'm on board with Nottingham Forest. Um, it is, it's a club that has plenty of ambition. And the pe people are worried about him going to the Premier League because the prospects of getting injured. People are also worried about Gio Reyna constantly, about him being in the right position. We really put on kid gloves with him to make sure that he, uh, you know, everything's okay. But he's sometimes you got to throw him into the deep end, right? 
sometimes you've got to do that and um, let's see how he reacts. I want to see that because we can't keep saying he's a kid, he's this, that. He's he's dealt with injuries. He's dealt with a scandal. He's, he's dealt with being benched by a couple coaches. And uh, it is... It's time for him to show that what the medal he has. So I, I think uh, Nottingham Forest, Nuno Espiritu Santos, an interesting coach, could be a, a good fit. We just want to see him do it. Now, Dortmund want you know $15 million, and he no one's going to want to pay that because Gio Reyna hasn't played. That's why the, the choice of agent, maybe the biggest agent in the world right now in football, is really the, the, the thing that puts it over the top here. I don't know if people are going to pay that. Maybe it's a loan, and then he comes back. He'll have one year left in his deal. And then Dortmund, it, the ball might be in Gio Reyna's court because he could wait for that year and pick whatever club he wants to go to. Uh, Dortmund, I'm sure, want to move forward with this. Uh, with regards to Gio Reyna, if he goes on a loan deal and comes back to Dortmund, and then he, a year and a half is kind of wasted where he doesn't play a lot, it would hurt his World Cup prospects. It certainly would hurt his Copa America prospects. But I think in the big picture of things, he the the good days can still lie ahead. And that's what happened with Christian Pulisic. He was 25 years old before he found his perfect club. So I wouldn't get too far down on Gio Reyna. But it'd be nice if this could work out. And uh, we can uh, we can celebrate that. Because he's a key American player. Because he's 21 and he's going to play for the national team regardless. So, But we really hope he can get this right. We'll talk about Asian Cup. We'll talk about AFCON. I have my picks here. I'll, I'll throw it with Anthony Hudson. will be joining us here in the business end in a couple of minutes. Stick around to uh, Check Complete, where we'll talk about the biggest questions around the U.S. men's national team. I did my picks. I mean, I think AFCON's going to end in a more straightforward means. So even though we lost... Algeria, Ivory Coast slipped back in. Who else did we lose? We lost. Oh, Ghana. Uh, I look at the bracket. I'm going with Senegal and Morocco. I think it's a good matchup. Uh, It's a good draw for those teams. Morocco will play South Africa over the weekend. Senegal's got Ivory Coast, the hosts, but I think Senegal look really good. I mean, you have group winners like Angola, Cape Verde, Equatorial Guinea. They've all been good, but this is where the... the, the, uh, the, the cream rises to the top. Asian Cup is going to be kind of wide open. I'm looking at the best path. And I'll ask, I'll mention this to Anthony. I have Qatar, who I think have been pretty good. They'll have Palestine, who's been a nice story. And then they'll play Uzbekistan or Thailand. They're hosting it. Uh, I would see they play Australia in the semifinals. And I have Iraq and possibly Iran playing in the other semifinal. I have Iraq and Qatar making the final. It's been a good tournament for the Middle East and the Gulf states. And I know I'm taking a big jump there, but I'm going with it. And there you have it. That is the rundown. It is time now for the business. And we'll be joined by Anthony Hudson, former interim coach for the U.S. men's national team, former assistant coach as well uh, at the World Cup, and now pundit for BN Sports covering the Asian Cup as he is coaching over in the Middle East. It's the soccer OG.
Welcome into the business, Ed, and we are here with Anthony Hudson, who is the assistant coach for the U.S. men's national team at the 2022 World Cup, was the interim coach as well, and now a, a pundit, Anthony, for uh, being sports during the Asian Cup. Are you enjoying it? Hi, Max. Uh, yeah, listen, it's been it's been great. It's been it's not something obviously I it, it, my first uh, desire in terms of what I want to do, but it's been it's been good fun. It's been uh, first of all, you there's a group of like you know there's a few ex players, coaches, and there's just great banter and like so that that camaraderie side of it, being at the games, I've really enjoyed that. And then, uh, and the tournament's been good. It's been good to it's been good to see that it's been good to see a tournament from a from a, from the other side of it. You know, just from you're inside, but you're on the outside, and you're viewing the teams, and you're seeing the crowds, and you you know you're monitoring what's going on around the teams in terms of the media and all that. So it's been it's been really really interesting. I've enjoyed it. That's very interesting, and. I mean, you obviously have had an interesting perspective with Asian football as your as a manager for Bahrain and being up close to it. How have you seen the development of the Asian game? I have watched these games and I've been really impressed, obviously, coming off the World Cup and seeing the facilities and Qatar as a host nation, the competition and improvement in the games as well. But from... The time you've been able to spend there, how have you seen those improvements in the uh, in the game in Asia? Well, I think the game in Asia um, and certainly the Middle East, well, and, and even, even you know, Southeast Asia is improving, but um, there's a big drive in the Middle East uh, to push the game forward. And I think it's clear. I mean, not, you know, I think we can all see the, you know the big names that are coming to this region. That's one thing, but I think just also the the the, the money that's being put into stadiums, infra infrastructure. You know, even academies, um, better coaching. Um, you know, better. You know, more modern plans of how to build and develop players and teams. And I think we're I think we're starting to see the game and you know i'm obviously based in qatar but you know in saudi different countries that the game is improving for sure the, the game is definitely improving but speaking of that and are they doing it the right way because i know they are when you look at the south the development of the saudi league and the qatari league with the coaches and everything that's been happening it seems like it's really coming through in in the in the games and there's certainly a a huge jump with regards to the players and just the team concept so when you look at uh the process this is a big uh this is a big situation because of you look at the qatar world cup and the saudi world cup that is going to happen in 2034 uh, it's this is a a big uh, this is a big process that they want to see a payoff but it's you see it with the players and it's coming a long way yeah, I, I look. I can only see it going in one direction. It, you know, it's it's very similar to the US in terms of where the game is going. I mean, the, there's there's for for quite some year, years now in the US, as you, you know better than I do. Um, for me, the game is only going in one direction in the states, and and I would say it's very similar here. And um, they obviously have the resources, um, but there's just there's a there's a different type of quality of player here. In the in, in in the Middle East, in Asia, 
um you know and 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 i think you know taking my opinion out of it and just seeing where all of these players now <clears throat> the top players are playing you know it, you know some of the biggest clubs in in the world in in europe um and and not just um you know bit part squad players in these clubs these are you know some key players at, at top clubs in europe so <clears throat> um the the level is improving I would say this Asian Cup for me, uh, certainly in my lifetime, has been probably the best I've seen in terms of quality and games. I think this is the, in terms of level, this is probably the best I've ever seen. When I look at the games, and let me, I'm gonna, I, I made a prediction in my previous segment. I have an Iraq Qatar final. Is that crazy? Well, I think, look, if you'd have said that at the beginning, I would have said that was slightly half crazy. Because, <laughs> I look, I think I think Qatar being the home nation have a, have a you know, the home nation and they're a good team in Asia. Um, obviously, the, the World Cup was a disappointment from, from them, but they're, they're, a, they're a very strong team. So I think you can't look past Qatar, especially with the pathway they have now. It's, it's a really good pathway. Um, but before the tournament, I would have questioned Iraq, but they've been they've been fantastic, Iraq. What a team they have. And they've, you know, coached really well, but um such a strong team. But look, I think I think the group games, what it's shown us is because for me, it, I, I couldn't see past Japan. You know, if you look at if you, you know, I even said at the beginning of the tournament, this is this has this could potentially be, and and I think it probably still is. It could argue arguably be one of the best Asian teams ever. If you look at their- Japan. 100%. Look at where all these players are. I mean, there's players that, there's players coming off the bench that would walk into any other of these Asian teams. And there's players that have not even made the squad that would walk into a lot of these Asian teams. So, you know, they're a top team. And, and I think, so to your point about trying to trying to figure out who who would be in the final, it's been really tough because one, we've seen some some lower ranked teams perform really well. And then we've seen the likes of Japan that, you know, probably haven't really started yet. And I'm hoping they will do soon, but you're expecting more out of some of these bigger teams. But um, for sure, I think Qatar, Qatar will be knocking on the door and Iraq have been really impressive for me. When you mentioned Japan, when I look at the 2022 World Cup, it was an exceptional World Cup for the Asian region. Obviously, they're hosting it, but you have Japan, Korea, Australia making the round of 16. The Saudis beat Argentina. Qatar probably should have done better as a host, but it is what it is. When you look at those top teams that do very well, and now you're watching this Asian Cup with Palestine and Jordan, Bahrain, and they're all kind of closing the gap. How do you think the width and breadth of the Asian Federation is doing? And looking towards World Cup qualifying, is it going to move towards a situation where like a Japan or a Korea or Iran are going to have issues qualifying? You're, you're the last part there. I don't think those teams will have an issue qualifying because I think over the course of a qualifying pathway, I think these teams invariably, you know, the quality shines through, but in, in, in knockout games like we're seeing now or 
you know, in these in these group games, um, you know, the lower ranked teams, you know, can pull out some big performances. I think, you know, I was thinking about this the other day because I've experienced this, you know, um, not so much with Bahrain because we competed in the region, but especially with New Zealand, um, you know, and we played a lot of Asian teams and then we played outside of Asia a few times. And then even with the US as well, and this is not like this is not a um, a knock on uh, players, and I and 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 I, I'm reflecting on the, these group games, and especially I look at a team like Japan, and I think to myself, you know, uh, and the experience I've had as well, with the best uh, will and the best motivation in the world, and the best characters, um, with the with the you know with the best meaning in the world, you know, some of these players are playing against the best teams in the best leagues every single week where you have to be at your very best. If I look at Endo, for example, at Liverpool, you know, this guy has to be at his very best every single week, playing in front of the scrutiny of, you know, the world's media, you know, biggest crowds. It's just intense. It's, and then you come into this tournament um, as a fate, you know, a clear, you know, one of the clear favourites, and you're playing with all due respect against l- really low-ranked teams. I would imagine that someone like Endo, as professional as he, you can be, there's still part of you that that I just think, and I know it's it's very difficult to play against. Uh, you know, to really approach it in the same manner, it's really tough. You know. You can try to, you can, you can, you know, can say and do all the right things, but in the end, you're playing against a. Ve- it's like the FA Cup, right? Or like it's like the Open Cup where lower ranked teams and and I use the FA Cup and like the Carabao Cup in in England because you do you really do see you know the cup the the upsets in those and it's not it's not like the big teams going to those games wanting to lose. It's just very difficult when you're playing against top teams every week to them. Not I wouldn't say it's motivation, but it's tough. It really is. So I think that sometimes there can be some sort of an equaliser there uh, in these one-off games. But um, but yeah, I think over the course of it, I think now we're I think now we're in the knockout stages of the tournament. We're going to see. I hope we're going to see these bigger teams now start putting their markers down. And that's a new experience for Japan, where they're like the hunted, and Korea. We've seen it as well, where they're like. Maybe in years past, they could kind of cruise a little bit, but they can't do it now. And these these other countries are very hungry and they're and they're ready for these games. But do you feel like in the knockouts that there will be a there will be a, a flick of the switch? I, I'm comparing it to the AFCON and some of the big African countries are also struggling against some of the countries that you would normally feel that they should beat. But in this kind of tournament with European players or players that make a good living and a, and make good wages are having to come to these tournaments and have to face countries that are so eager and so aggressive, whatever you want to call it, to close the gap. And I think we're seeing that gap getting closed. Yeah, the, the gap's definitely closing. I think, look, I I, I don't think it's going to be, uh, to, to answer your question, I don't think that the, the switch is going to flick for all of them. But, uh, you know, a team like Japan, I think uh, they're all different cases, but like a team like Japan, you know, whoever they play against, Japan can score goals. That's one thing they can do. You know, this team scores goals. They've got, you know, so whatever happens, I mean, 
their next game. I think Bahrain, obviously, I, I, I know them very well. They've done great to get here. I know they're going to give a spirited performance, but I think it's going to be tough because the reality is if you score a goal against Japan or Japan have just got goals from all over the, the, the field. But then you look at teams like Korea and there's there's just been, there's been worrying signs for some of the bigger teams. Um, and I would say career as well. Up until this point, I, I'm, I've been concerned. I've, you know, and especially their last game um, the other day against Malaysia. I mean, that was concerning the the, the result and the performance. Uh, but how does that happen? That was I, I was watching that game. I could not believe what I was. I, I was I think, seeing. Yeah, I think their only real dominant game was in the first. I think it was the first game against Bahrain. I mean, that was their. And, and partly, you know, and, and I'm obviously a big supporter of Bahrain, but in that game, they 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 played differently to how they normally play. They sat back and defended, and it, I think it kind of played into into Korea's hands. But you know, the last game for me with Korea was worrying. I think Jordan gave them a great game as well. You know, Jordan are, Jordan are a good team. They got some really really good players. Um, so I don't know. I think different team, you know, I think, you know, but then you look at Iran, for example, and they've been dominant from, from the very first, first two, first minute of their first game when they go and score that first goal, you know, like you could tell the intention of this team and they have uh, quality and experience all around the pitch. I mean, if you're talking about, you know, is, is, is the, you know, the level improving, you see where these guys are playing and, and the, you know, in Europe and, and what they're doing. Um, I would say Iran are an improved team that played us in the world cup by far. I think they've evolved. I think they're more attacking. Um, I think they're, they're really cohesive. Um, and, and obviously I think the world cup may have been difficult for them there. There was a lot going on around you know the country and 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 off the field it was tough i think for 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 the players but they they've just been completely dominant so i think i think it's different for different teams but i don't think you can look past japan i worry about korea um i think iran are very dominant and and like you say i think iraq teams like iraq have been very very good qatar i think they they'll be there or thereabouts but they haven't really been tested yet that's the only question mark for me uh, we shall see. By the way, when I talk to people about the U.S. men's national team and they say Greg Berhalter needs a quality win, I point that Iran win. I think it was he doesn't get enough credit or the, you guys did not get enough credit for beating that Iran team. It was such a grind. And we can see now that that's a country that, you know, plays a very advanced style and had huge ambition at the World Cup. Uh, you were th you were there. I mean, what was that like to play that country that country with so much on the line and to see to to talk about what the U.S. has been able to do and look at quality wins? How how does that one stick out? Yeah, um, it was massive because I think the pressure on both teams was huge, um, and I would say Iran were probably far more experienced in in those situations because they're, they're consistently really at World Cups. They qualify regularly and they have a more experienced team in terms of the age and where those players are playing in, um, and international experience as well. They've been together a long time. Um, so, look, I think um, the US 
Um, it, you know, for a lot of those guys, it was their first World Cup. Um, young team, huge potential, and showed a lot of bravery in that game. A lot of bravery. Um, but but again, it it comes back to you know the the quality in Asia and Asian teams. You can't; they're not to be dismissed. I mean, if you see, you know how well Japan did in the World Cup. If you see, and we played them, you know, in the build up to the to the World Cup in that window where we played them and and Saudi. <clears throat> you know, Saudi go and beat the eventual world champions. You know, I think um, they're difficult opponents. They really are. So. So that game for the States was, was listen, I, I, I believed it was a, a, a really solid um, group performance, uh, set of performances. I think it was a, for a young group, I think, um, you know, really, really good performance against England, good first half against Wales um, and showed a huge amount of bravery in the, in the last game. Um, so I think the, and then, and then it was a big lesson in, in that game against Holland. It was a, you know, but again, it's, it's international experience, international, um, experience at international football is key in terms of, in terms of having tournament experience, in terms of having, um, you know, t time together as a team, all of these things going through qualifiers, it's so so important. So th that that last campaign will hold this team in great stead for sure. Are you keeping tabs of the U.S. team? What do you think uh, of what where they're going? As there's a very incredible stretch here with the Copa America and uh, obviously the World Cup in 2026. I think it's I think it's an exciting time. I think um, I think this this Copa Copa America is going to be a great tournament to be involved in and and great experience it'll be a great test to see where the team's at and what's needed um but yeah listen i i i, I trust i trust the guys and and uh there's some real there's some real quality and there really is some real quality in the team and a real youthfulness and i you know i even you without you know i never never normally like singling one player out but you know players like pelusic you know, he's, he's such a, not only is he a top player, but I can assure you, when you have players that love their country, you know, this guy loves his country and is so determined. You know, I, I always got the sense he just loved coming back and being around his teammates and representing the States and, um, you know, puts his body on the line and cares, this guy cares so much. You know, even in the Iran game, you know, for for the goal, and I can just picture it. You know, th this guy, you know, we're, we're coming back to the hotel after the game, having got out the group, and he's there with his arm, and shoulder, and a sling, and he's celebrating with everyone. And he should he should really be lying down and taking it easy, but now he's <laughs> hugging everyone. And he's got a problem, but they, but that like so when you have quality and when you have personalities like that in the team. You know, and they're building a really good culture there. I think you've got a chance of building something really special. Anthony, I don't think we hear that enough about Christian Pulisic. We we figure he's like immersed in his club, and he, obviously we we know it's important for him to play for the US MNT. But to that passion about playing, I don't think we hear it enough. So I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah, but it's, it's you know it's it's not easy for these players. It's really oh, yeah. not. I mean, it's really not. I mean, like. 
you know, they're they're all if you look at every single campaign, but even the last campaign, that you know, the context of each player is consistently changing. You know, they're in the team, out the team, they need to get back in the team. You know, they're on the bench for their club, then they're then they're going away to represent their national team. But you know, if they go away, the manager, you know, they're getting pressure from their managers. All of these different scenarios coming back from injury. It's it's not easy. Uh, you know, the travel, you know, and then they go back and, and they play within 48 hours for their club. So it's, it's, listen, it's not easy. And and they're a young group also trying to forge their way in 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 their, in their, in their careers. They're trying to forge their way. But one thing I can assure having seen it firsthand, when you've got players players like Christian and Eunice Musa and all, listen, all these Tyler Adams and, you know, all the way to Tim Ream, these, these, I can tell you when, when you look into players' eyes, you know, that you know, if they care or not, and they really do. They, I, 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 I you know, I've been on a lot of teams and uh, those guys are emotionally uh, invested in the US and, and care deeply about the team. I can assure you that. We don't hear that enough. So it's very good to hear from you, Anthony. By the way, do you have a pick for the Asian Cup? I know it's I know I threw my pick out there, but do you have a, a um, winner? You know, I, I, I love I'm gonna go around the houses now. Um I love Iran. <laughs> I love Iran. I don't they're they're gonna be really tough to beat. They have a uh, they have a very they have a difficult little section to get through. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they really do. Um, Qatar, obviously, being the home nation, again, they haven't really been tested. But I think when you have a player like Afif, I mean, this guy, when you see this guy live, and especially in, in these, like, he can do things. This guy, wow, what a player. Speed, quality, can score, can create, you know, and they got, you know, two or three really, really clark that can win games, you know, at this tournament on their own. I don't think you can look past them. I think, you know, if Japan, you know, turn it on, I, I think they're going to be the team to beat. The one I look at. I would love to see that, by the way. And yeah, I think I they really can do are. it. Yeah. And I, I, listen, I've been I've been disappointed so far because I was telling everyone about <laughs> I've been wrong because I was telling everyone. But um so uh, I am constantly own... wrong with predictions. It's my oh, it's my calling card. So you don't have to feel guilty about that at all, Anthony. Well, look for my own ego. I would like for them to start playing well, please. So, right. um, but um, Uzbekistan. Uh, listen, I, I don't think they can. Go, I don't <laughs> think they can go all the way. But this is a team I've been impressed with. Um, you know, they they're probably missing their best player coming into this tournament, which is a huge loss. Um, but I, I, I've watched them for some time now. This is a really, really good team, a well-coached team, um, well-coached, well-drilled, tough mentality. These are tough. These are tough players to play against, you know, um, and have quality as well. I mean, this Fazwelev that plays in Moscow, what a what a talent he is, you know. And so I think if if they, you know, I, I, they could potentially reach the semi-finals, and who knows? But they're a good team. I don't, I wouldn't look. I would, you can't look down on a team like Uzbekistan. The other one I want to highlight. I can't see them getting to the final. Uh, of course, I ca I can't. I mean, and the next round is going to be tough for them. But I love Tajikistan. 
and the way they've um, they they've probably been the brightest. There's um, so many bright spots in this. There's all these yeah, teams when I watch them play, I'm like really impressed. They're not like bunkering down. They're not parking the yeah. bus. They're going yeah, for yeah. it. Yeah, and that's what I love about Tajikistan. They've been. I think they've been. I watched their first game. I was like, wow, what a what a team. Actually, probably. The, the, after the first after the first game because I think they were they were a little bit in awe of I think they played Qatar in the first game um but very attacking create loads of chances probably lack a little bit of quality in the final third but just don't stop don't stop going and that and I'll tell you what I love teams that you just attack you know want to keep creating press high. And that last game that got them through, where they won two one, was an outstanding game, and the and, and what it, you saw what it meant to everyone. But they deserve it, so they're going to be a tough opponent, real tough opponent. The Kiwis that listen to this are going to be very happy that we did not mention the Socceroos once. So what are, they're probably going to win it after this conversation, but they've, they've been very good too. But I, I was going to impress you, Anthony, and mention Uzbekistan too because I thought they were very impressive. I don't want, I don't think they could win it. But who knows? Anthony Hudson, great chat with you. Enjoy the rest of the tournament and really appreciate you joining our podcast. Thank you, Max. I appreciate it. It's good to speak to you. Uh, Likewise, Anthony Hudson here in the business. And we'll be back with Check Complete here on the Soccer OG. Time now for Check Complete. And we still have about two months just under two months until the next USMNT fixture, one that will matter, the Nations League. We have grown with the Nations League since its early editions. I think we really enjoyed the one a year ago where uh, the U.S. just throttled Mexico and Canada. Going back to the one in Denver, when was that? In 20... <clears throat> was that 2021? 2022? I, know, I can't remember. These years all blend in together. Uh, successes for the U.S. in both. And that's not why we enjoy them, but it's... It's important, and this year it was a qualifier for the Copa America. The USA will kick off Copa America play against Bolivia June the 23rd, also at AT AT&T Stadium. So the Nations League's at AT AT&T Stadium, a.k.a. Jerry's World, which is also to be the site, possibly, of the World Cup final. MetLife Stadium in New Jersey's up for up for running too. It seems like that. I think it's leaning a little towards that. SoFi Stadium, despite everything that has been reported, still in the mix. Don't rule out Los Angeles, baby. Do not rule out L.A. I think they said they wanted New York to be a big hub, which sounds great. you got public transport, which is much better than it is in Dallas or Los Angeles. But it is New York. It's crowded. It's difficult. The airports are very far away. I'm just telling you, man. I mean, in New York, you don't feel like you click your fingers and then you're on a subway, uh, which is another story. But... uh, (laughs) It's good in many ways, but it's not a slam dunk. But whatever, that's not what I'm here to talk about. But we have these fixtures coming up. Greg Berhalter will release the roster in about, what, 30 days? No, 35 days or so for the Nations League. And I am here to tell you now, it could be one of the more interesting roster reveals. We uh, Several players have pushed themselves onto the roster. Several players have pushed themselves from the back end of the roster to perhaps a starting position. Several have done the exact opposite, out of the starting 11, perhaps off the roster as well. We have like 16 or so locked players, maybe more. I would say 16. We're, we're missing Tyler Adams. 
And I think that's the big one. I mean, we'll have to wait because we did have injuries, remember, to Christian Pulisic and Tim Weah, but they are playing, so knock on wood, uh, they should be able to go. But there are some big questions coming in. I wanted to start with this one because I know it drives people bananas. I am setting the over-under on MLS players on this Nations League squad. Uh, We won't talk about the Copa America, but the Nations League roster could be very close to what we see at the Copa America. But I'm setting the over-under of MLS players at one and a half. I think one is pretty much locked in, and a second one is close. And then it could be a third, and it possibly could be a fourth. But that is a bit of a stretch. Remember, Serginho Dest is not available for this game, so you need an extra fullback. Dewan Jones can play left back or right back. Dewan Jones played in the January camp, great athlete. And although there's some guys like Reggie Cannon uh, who have, even Shaq Moore, who's an MLS player, I wouldn't rule him out either. Um, But I think you look at Shaq Moore because of Dest, he has a really good spot. It's going to be Anthony Robinson. Joe Scally probably moves in to right back. And then Dewan Jones somewhere in between there to fill the gaps. I, I don't see how he's not called in. And I, I, I think we should really rally around him. He's, an, he's a, a late bloomer. He is a player that just signed a long deal with the New England Revolution. So maybe he stays in MLS for the long haul. But, I mean, we don't shoo these guys away just because they didn't hit their spot at 19. Uh, so I think he's going to make it. The other one is Miles Robinson, which shoehorns into my biggest question of this. What do our center backs look like? It's a big one. Because it is, there is not a clear-cut number one in my estimation. Or number two. Or number three. It's tricky. We, you would normally say Tim Ream and Chris Richards. Lock them in. Okay. I would tend to think Chris Richards, who's playing at Crystal Palace. Although, man, I've seen... I mean, he was playing at midfield. But it was like people were starting to talk about should he be a six. He wasn't playing as a six. He was playing as another... Center back. He didn't do anything that a number six does. He was just filling gaps. It was a. It was. It was not a, a position that I think he would really want to play. But he's happy to get on the field. He wants to play as center back. Well, he started playing center back. Played a game against Arsenal, and I know it's Arsenal, but it was they targeted him and they found success. Goal, goal. Kept going at him. Uh, he's looking leggy. So um, he is not the model of confidence right now. So I don't think you just say, put him in. Even though I probably put him at number one on the list. Tim Ream's not playing as much. I figure that he's, he's hit it. He's hit that final wall. Um, I would imagine Fulham start playing with another starting center back to replace him. It's been an incredible run. And we owe him so much for doing what he did for the 2022 World Cup. Because I don't think we would have been successful. I don't think we made the round of 16 without Tim Ream. So, Tim Ream, Chris Richards could be the starting combination. I think Miles Robinson has a chance. I think he can do what Tim Ream does, not as well, with distribution, good athlete, center back, play the full 90 minutes in January. Not that that should matter, because that was a throwaway game, as we all agree. Mark McKenzie playing in Belgium, possibly. Cameron Carter-Vickers is the guy that could be the heir apparent to one of those spots. Dealing with some injury issues. Just signed a huge deal with Celtic. So those are four guys. Uh, I think they all four make it. I know I'm missing someone. Oh, Austin Trusty, who's who's been playing with Sheffield United, but kind of as a back three, I think as a right back, which shouldn't discourage us. Uh, but he's probably earned some 
you know, he's a Premier League player. Maybe those five make it. But that really is going to be the the biggest concern because center back is our calling card. Because this is what I want to tell everyone. When we criticize Greg Berhalter, and many people criticize him, you can't really criticize him for results because he's kind of delivered, oh, he's delivered enough in results. Could he over-deliver there? 100%. A lot of people criticize on the way the game looks. Tactics, strategy, what is he doing? Lobbing in, crossing balls, da, da, da. Greg Berhalter's number one responsibility for the U.S. men's national team and other managers around the world are doing the same thing. Didier Deschamps, Lionel Scaloni. I will promise you, if you watch France and Argentina play, they are not nice to look at. I think you think France and Argentina and you're thinking wild entertainment. It's not that. It's not. They are making their teams hard to beat. That is the number one priority of a national team coach. It's not to score four goals. It's not to play the beautiful game. It's to make your team hard to beat. Greg Berhalter has done that in the big competitions. So, in order for him to keep doing that, he needs a good stable of center backs. So that could be in peril. If Greg Berhalter goes sideways here, it could be the center back issue. Could be the goalkeeping issue, which is the next on my list. Matt Turner hanging over the precipice as a starting goalkeeper. It's not been great in the Premier League. And I don't think he's going to be there much longer. He had a chance at Arsenal. He's now had the chance at Nottingham Forest. Same mistakes. Another guy who was a late bloomer. Still our number one. Still our number one. And A, because he's deserved it. But B, because no one's really pushing him. The pecking order for the goalkeepers. Who is it? Who's number two? I don't know. Ethan Horvath? Man, I'm played. Gaga Slonina playing in Belgium. Okay, the team he's playing for gives up a lot of goals. My other... MLS player could be an MLS goalkeeper. I can't tell you who. Could it be Patrick Schulte? Could it be Drake Callender? Could it be Zach Steffen, who's now with the Rapids? So there's a small chance a third MLS player could come from a goalkeeper. Coming back to my original uh, concept there. But goalkeeper is an issue too. I mean, everywhere else, we're kind of good. We don't have a lot of depth, but we have our wingers. And Pulisic and Weah. We have, I mean, some of these players have fallen off the map, right? Some of these guys, I mean, we, we rely. We, we don't have deaths, but I'm confident in Joe Scally. Anthony Robinson, our fullbacks are good. Our, so wide players are good. Midfield, even with no Tyler Adams, solid. When you have Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa, Gio Reyna, we'll call him a midfielder here. He's not going to go anywhere. So he prob- those are the three starters. Luca Della Torre, excelling at Celta. Johnny Cardoso now playing at Betis, starting games at Betis. That's a strong five. You got to get your sixth player. That could be my next MLS player because after that, who is the next midfielder? Timothy Tillman. Uh, Malik Tillman's there as a midfielder, but I've kind of kept him as a a forward too. Uh, But maybe both Tillmans make it if you want a little extra cover as a six or a possible eight. Timothy Tillman played okay in January, and I think they want to incorporate him, and I know Greg Berhalter likes him from conversations I've had at the LAFC training ground. <sighs> Sorry, a little water or something else. Now, 
Forward is good. Falar and Balogun, who I've heard now, didn't make a Monaco traveling squad because he could be injured. So a little worried about that. More will come out. I just saw that cross the line here. This is so good that I recorded this on a Friday, huh? We will see how big of an issue that is. But Fal- Balogun, Pepe, number 10, Reina, and Malik Tillman, all good. Depth issues are a bit of concern. But we can, I think, clear that with these March games because we have that nice core. Center back, MLS players, goalkeeper, and I think we'll leave it at that for now. I don't want to worry you too much. It should be good. But I think this is going to be a call-up that's going to get people up in arms. There could be, I, I, I'm going to tell you, Shaq Moore could, <laughs> could have a say in this. I doubt it. I mean, I don't want to see him on there. I'm just kind of looking at the options that exist. Could we have, uh, could we, oh, this was the other one. Could we have three number nines? I think we will. So Balligan and Pepe, maybe Josh Sargent. Haji Wright's been great playing for Coventry. Maybe one of those two. I would say maybe Josh Sargent gets the nod, although Haji Wright's deserved it too. I mean, the backup number nines are better options than our backup wingers. So... I think you could blend those a little bit. But it's good. We're good. We have a few weeks. In the Nations League, we want to see this team because it's gotten a little stagnant under Greg Berhalter. I'm not going to hear to defend him on that. It's gotten stagnant. But it's gotten stagnant in games. The Trinidad game, which we should have done better, had that weird Sergio Dez situation, and a January camp, which we shouldn't care about. The Soccer OG. Rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. Make sure you check out the Soccer OG under my YouTube page under my name, Max Bretos. Early next week, more Asian Cup AFCON getting into it. As you can see, there's never a dull minute. And as I can actually accurately say this time, it's just a day away. Palacio Domingo. 